Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Coin Press podcast. I'm Luke Willis. Today I have Kui He back on the show. Welcome, Kui. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it is fourth. No, it's almost five now uh, here on the West Coast, and that's five in the morning. Yep. Uh, got up early for this, so <laughs> hope it turns out all right. Um, Make sure you get your coffee, guys. Yeah, yeah. Got to have the coffee. Um, so yeah, so I've got Kui back on. I know we, you were just on the show a couple weeks back, but we are today. We're talking about the burn pool, which you and I are working on together. So I wanted to have you on to to go through it. Yeah, the burn pool. We've actually gotten pretty far with it. You've doing the bulk of the coding. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, you've all the coding. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but there there are some pretty interesting plays on here, just because the Coinos smart contract system is uniquely different from any other blockchain out there. Um, yeah. So th there's actually pre some pretty interesting design parameters that we had to talk about, and go over, and see what was the best. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's jump right into the pool. Yeah. So so why are we doing this, Kui? Um, you know, I think with blockchain, uh, with the way the mining system works, you're always going to end up with someone who's uh, going to create a mining pool or a bird pool, whatever you want to call it. We're not going to be the only people doing it, um, right. and it's not about you know first first person on the scene uh we've talked about in the past podcast about uh being here um long term we're all in on this right right this is really just an extension of that because mining is not something you just do uh and then you, you can flow in and flow out it's something that takes quite a bit of time to set up um requires trust in the community trust in the operators it requires um you know us to be in the front of any news coming out there because uh, miners are responsible for voting on governance proposals. So it's a long-term play. It's about showing that we're here for the long-term. Uh, we're not just gonna be in and out. Uh, right. So that's really kind of like just establishing some of the long-term play. Very, very, very basic item. But there's also some other stuff too. I mean, it, practically, uh, we, we with the mining pool, what I love to do is create a system of a community where uh, perhaps we can kickstart other projects off where we can figure out what the community wants because the community who joins the mining pool they're going to be part of it they're going to be discussing they're able to move the tokens in and out they're going to be partaking in governance um, so a lot of those things kind of come into play when it, when it comes to the mining pool it's not just about helping people mine and you know making some some profit it's more than just that yeah for sure um yeah, and there's there's a ton of things that we want to do. This is just like we're trying to make it easier for the individuals who don't hold, you know, a million coin <laughs> to to jump in and and participate. Because this is uh, it's it's not trivial, like you said, to to jump in and and uh, and mine on your own. Uh, it's not too hard, and if you have enough coin, then it's worth it. But uh, if you're a smaller player, then this is really the best option for you. So if you want to participate, you want to earn a little bit of profit on your coin, um, this is really going to be the easiest way to do it. And I don't expect we'll be the only one doing this, but we've we've written the first iteration of a burn pool. Yeah, and also, if anyone, you know, we're, we're on version 4, and soon version 4.1 of the testnet. Yeah. Um, and the reality is that Coinos Group did a really good job at making Coinos extremely accessible. The node is probably the easiest node that to, to run uh, of all the blockchains out there. 
Uh, I personally try to run several other nodes on different blockchains just to have a comparison. Um, and yeah, you have Docker, run a command, and you really could fire up in two minutes. It may take you, you know, a couple hours to sync, but it really is easy to run. And I even have a short 20 minute, maybe 20 minutes is not short, but it's an all in, like all in video, but tells you from soup to nuts how to run a node. So even if you don't have any coin, grab some testnet coin, fire up a node, see how easy it is. If you you may not make any money if you're a smaller player, but that's not a big deal. Running a node does help decentralize the system and it just puts out more nodes out there and it makes it a better ecosystem overall. Yep, that's right. Cool. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, the burn pool. How yeah. we, how we did it, how it works. Well, let's um, you know, th there's a there's a couple of design concepts that uh you know, people might have questions about if you're trying to design your own burn pool or if you're participating in one and there's some options that you see out there in staking pools because staking pools are probably the most similar item to this. Um, right. But we talked a lot about when we first looked at this, uh, custodial versus non-custodial. Um, yeah. What do you, what, let's, let's start with this. Uh, can coinless burn pools be non-custodial? So today, no. Um, theoretically, you could change that in the future. Um, but the way the the Coinos system is designed today, proof of burn uh, requires that you specify a single address that holds all the VHP um, that you represent as a miner. So for us operating the node and, and backup nodes and whatever, uh, we'll be specifying the contract address as the place where all the VHP sits. So you have to give custody, you have to hand over all your VHP to the contract. And so, uh, so yeah, that's it's just a requirement of the way the system is set up today. Um, the team hasn't expressed any interest in, I mean, we, it hasn't come up. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's no plans to make it support uh, non-custodial pools, but yeah, I mean, that's something if there was demand for it, it would be you know, reasonably simple to roll out given you can do it without a hard fork. Yeah, it, but there's also, you know, even if you don't have um, non-custodial, when you compare non-custodial and custodial staking pools, for example, right, the reality is that you can get some way of exposing yourself to uh, liquidity because that's kind of what custodial and non-custodial kind of boils down to, I feel like. That's right. If you if you are turning over your tokens to someone, you don't have liquidity. If you right. are not turning over your tokens to someone, but you're locking them, you don't have liquidity, right? Yep. Um, and so that kind of segues into that next item about whether or not you are going to use tokens on your pool or not. And by tokens, I mean liquidity pool tokens. They're not designed to like ICO or do anything crazy. They're really right. just there to, to represent your claim on your portion of the pool. Right. Um, so yeah, so it, it's a it's a liquid staking token, right? Where you put in one token, and we give you a different token that represents your stake, and then um, it when you want to pull the real tokens out, you give us back those other tokens. And those tokens are completely transferable. So yes, uh, in, our, in this particular design, right? Uh, well, let's just kind of go into this a little bit. Um, I, I I see a lot of people uh, people who are new even. even some people who, who use blockchain quite a bit, there's still a lot of confusion over this because the terminology is, is terrible. Mm -hmm. But uh, when we tell people talk about wallets, wallets holding tokens, 
Yeah. That's just not, it's a really misconception. Wallets do not hold tokens. It is, um, yeah. <laughs> and tokens aren't like really tangible if you think no. about it. No. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts on using tokens or no tokens for the, for our uh, burn pool? Yeah, I mean, in going through building this out and, um, you know, everything else we've done, trying to figure out whether to do this with a token or not, um, we did it both ways. Initially, I did it without a token and just tracked your balance in the state of the contract. And then we switched it to use a separate token contract. And the code is like exactly the same. It's just moving where that state is kept, one address or another. That's really all it is. Um, so the the deal with that is that, yeah, like you said, tokens aren't real. They're, it's really just a number that's tracked in state of the contract. And it says, hey, this person's address has 10 of this token. <laughs> and that's it. So the only reason your wallet software shows that you have all these tokens in it is because it's calling all these different contracts, um, you know, assuming we're talking about like ERC20 or a similar setup on a, on a different blockchain like Coinos. Um, it's calling this balance of method on all these different token contracts to figure out what your balance is. So that's why, like in MetaMask, you have to register the token address for it to show up in the wallet. It's not really like a thing that's in your wallet. It's just a number that's tracked in a specific contract. And then your wallet just knows how to look at that and, and show it as a token in a wallet. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I never really thought about it that way. If you, if you like, for example, don't register a contract into your MetaMask, the, co the wallet doesn't even know that that smart contract exists. Right. Right. It's there in the ether, but unless you tell the contract, hey, we've created a new token, it just won't know it. Right. Um, so that's why those tokens aren't actually in your con uh, inside your wallet. Your wallet's really just holding a key that allows you to look into, uh, or I'm sorry, allows you to uh, extract uh, values out of that contract. Yes, exactly. You, you, you're the address that the number is attributed to, and that gives you permission to transfer or do whatever you want with that token. But there, there are some distinct advantages uh, of having a token versus no token, depending on what application you, you are uh, trying to uh, power or, or achieve. Uh, for for this particular pool, not having tokens, I think it's a downside. By having tokens, you do get um, liquidity because when you trade, when you deposit, when you make a deposit of coin into the contract, you're going to get um, a liquidity pool token, a liquid staking token. Um, mm -hmm. We're calling that token right now PEHP or pooled VHP. Uh, yep. Um, and it's not designed to be one to one with uh, with the value of your uh, of your holdings. It's designed to just be a placeholder of uh, a representation of your current claim on the uh, the entire pool's uh, asset, your, your claim of the pool's asset. And it'll always increase in value um, because we're going to be building blocks, you're going to be generating some yield. Um, and so you can always transfer that fixed amount of PVHP for its its real life value in VHP. Right. So it gives you liquidity. It's basically what it does. You can take this VHP token, and if DeFi existed on Coin, on Coinos, then you'd be able to deposit that uh, because anybody can take that VHP VHP and extract it for uh, VHP or exchange it for VHP. Yeah, yeah. So it's 
it's really just about giving you more options, more freedom. Um, it, if we just tracked it in state of the contract and it wasn't a, a token that followed that standard, then um, you'd still be able to, you know, withdraw your original coin or VHP. Right. Uh, but with a token, now you have the ability to go use that on uh, CoinDX or something like that. So you can really, it just gives you more more ways to get the liquidity you want um, or go stake that token somewhere else if somebody supports that. Uh, there's really lots of ways to set this up. Yeah. And, and now, even with tokens, um, if you decide to have a token, uh, and because the token tracks an increasing amount of yield for you, because we're always producing blocks, uh, you get into this other discussion, which uh, I think was something that's more popular in 2021 because of O. Um, but the idea of rebasing versus non-rebasing. Uh, and, and the real question there is whether or not we give you more PVHP as your account profits, mm -hmm. or we just keep track of that number uh and do some type of uh math to kind of determine how much value you're old in vhp right yeah and we originally had planned on building it where we would uh like issue new pvhp as the pool made profit um but that gets complicated <laughs> yeah it, it really does because um it some people like the idea of having a one-to-one -one token representation in a wall at all times which means they're getting new PVHP tokens, but it's very hard to actually keep that, keep, keep track of that because right. a lot of different players, uh, people entering different times, block production is variable, it's not a constant rate. Uh, sometimes we may not produce some blocks just because of the randomness built into it. Right. So it's hard to keep track. Yeah, and if you built a contract for some reason where there was like a cap of the number of participants or something like that, like you can only ever have 100 wallets in this thing or something like that then uh, that would it make a little bit more sense there because you'd have a limit to how much work you'd have to do to issue new tokens. Because um, you basically have to go through every wallet and give them new tokens. And so if you have a thousand or a million people in your pool, then that gets expensive in terms of paying the mana cost to, to run right. this. Um, so yeah, it's... Like it's a good way to go uh, if you want that simple interface of one to one and have their wallet show the profit. Um, but what we realized by switching it to uh, not compounding in your wallet and just having it compound in the contract uh, is that your your balance in your wallet stays static, but then you know obviously the balance in the contract climbs. So your your redemption ratio, if you were to go burn your PVHP and withdraw a VHP or coin, um, you're going to get more over time. So that means that if there was a like a trading pair on on Coindex where the the PVHP was swapped with VHP or something like that, then in a perfect world, that price would climb in direct uh you know it would directly follow the the market uh, for uh basically like what the return has been uh -huh. for mining on coinos so 
if it starts out and everybody's making 4%, then the, the price of PVHP would climb by 4%. Right, it right. It should match production rate. Yeah, exactly. But the reality, though, is that you can always go to the mining pool and query your, your, uh, your account balance, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a calculation that's done inside the smart contract that determines what your value uh, what is the value of your PVHP in VHP real terms are, right? And you're always going to um, get more value the longer you hold because we're producing blocks, you're earning yield. And so that static PVHP number in your wallet's always going to present more VHP in the future. Right. Um, so it's not really a big deal. I don't really think there's much of an advantage between using a rebasing versus non-rebasing. It's all trying to achieve the same thing in a different way. Yeah. Um, but it, it does go back into, I guess, if you have a token, right, uh, you, you, you're probably hearing us talk about um, the withdrawal uh, into VHP. Um, this, is, this one is something that we talked to a couple guys in community about, we talked about it internally, um, and it goes into the ethos of what the mining pool is about. Uh, and this is the topic we'll kind of segue into now is whether or not you should be allowed or whether or not it's better if you withdraw from your position into VHP versus withdrawing into coin. Right. Yeah, this, this is kind of a, we, we basically landed on the purpose of the pool is to represent your stake in voting and maximize your profits through mining, right? So the, the idea of keeping coin in stock to, to allow you to withdraw, kind of goes against both of those because if if you've deposited with us then uh, we want to kind of maximize the amount we've burned uh -huh. and reburn frequently so that there's always you know we're always topped up on VHP so that we're mining the most we possibly can um, so we could keep a little coin around to to allow people to withdraw but then you know that that makes it harder to to maximize profits and to maximize our voting power within the pool. Yeah, I I simulated. I did a huge spreadsheet where I simulated some um, some mining, right? And there, if you reburn, uh, let's go back a little bit. If you don't reburn at all, right, you're never going to achieve that total four uh, percent. Assuming, right. well, let's go actually. Let's go back a little bit more. In order for you to earn four percent. The, the network itself would have to burn 50% of its total liquid supply of coin. If that, so we call that kind of that steady state, the ideal state. Um, and that's because if you don't burn 50%, then anyone can just quickly burn some tokens and perform a 51% attack. And so if you 50% right. of tokens are burned, you just don't have that opportunity. So that's why it's right. the ideal state. Um, now with that, um, if... Uh, yeah, so what was I talking about again? <laughs> no, no, it's uh, so with basically the 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 burn percentage being fifty percent. If if the fifty percent of the total coin supply is burned for VHP, then the rate of return is four percent. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So the rate of return would be at four percent. Um, now, if you are solo mining during these ideal conditions, right there we go. So if you're solo mining during these ideal conditions, you would be making four percent on your tokens, right? Assuming mm -hmm. you know your electricity is free and there's no other cost to you and using your own computer. 
Right. Uh, however, if you don't reburn, your number drops down by half, right? Because yeah. you have diminishing returns, and eventually you only get two percent. Now, uh, I simulated whether or not you would reburn on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, and the reality is that the daily basis, uh, a daily reburn, is likely the most efficient in terms of mana cost um, and effort for someone who's uh, home money at home. Even if you do a weekly burn, it's not that impactful. You burn 52 times a year, which is 365. Uh, just don't burn one month out. Um, and for us, we're going to be targeting a reburn cycle. I mean, the reality is that this may change uh, because it's kind of a um, you know see as you go. We're going to try to reburn on a daily basis, and we'll be able to do that because we're mining for you guys. So we want to maximize profit for you. At the same time, in terms of uh, of the liquid coin in our stash, right on a daily basis, we'll be getting coin in for block production, and so right. there there will be some coin available. But our goal really is to maximize maximize rewards, so that coin is going to get reburned. So there is an opportunity to withdraw a coin, just not a whole bunch of it. Right. Yeah. So if you're a smaller, if you're looking to, to withdraw a smaller amount of coin, um, I don't know, maybe even up to like a thousand or something like that. Um, if you if you're coming in like before we do the daily burn, um, it should be there. You should be able to to get access to a little bit. Um, but if you're uh, if you want to withdraw a larger amount, you're going to need to withdraw in VHP uh, or wait and withdraw little bits of coin at a time. So the and and then just a note on the reburn well daily is like our initial kind of manual way we're going to do this we are eventually going to build a a microservice that'll run on our nodes that uh will kind of automatically handle the reburns and and optimize that that trade-off between mana costs and maximizing profit so it may end up being more frequently than daily in time yep. One thing to also um, kind of talk about is um, some when we first initially um, went through this, the question was, why are we doing this way? Um, right. And I think it's important for people, you know, if, if you don't think about it, you know, if you don't sit there thinking about it as much as we do, right? Some of these things may not come up as easily. Um, but if you think about it, if you're going to mine solo, the retention time for you in terms of VHP is one year during you know ideal conditions. And yeah. so we're allowing you uh, to pull coin from a larger pool, basically, because the, yeah. the chances of every single depositor wanting to withdraw coin is unlikely. So there's going to be more coin available for you as a small time miner um, than it would be for someone who's uh, mining solo. Yeah. Yeah, even if you just withdrew as much coin as you could frequently from the pool, uh, you would you would get all of your VHP back as coin faster than if you were to just try to mine on your own. Yeah, because you would have to wait a year versus being able to kind of source the coin from everyone else's, um, you know, a yield. But they're, but we're going to reburn that yield. I'm going to be very clear. You're not taking someone else's yield. We're going to eventually reburn that and um, distribute it, you know, on again on, on state on chain. Yeah. Um, to everyone else, but the reality is that the pool of coins available on a daily basis, if you're a smaller uh, player, it's going to be much more liquid than you just do it on your own. So there are some advantages to uh, to to small players joining a pool. 
That's right. Yeah, and you're not like stealing anybody's profit when you withdraw a coin. The 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 profit is attributed to everybody, and you're only entitled to a portion of it based on how much PVHP you have. Right. Yeah, and the other thing too is also you know uh, let's let's go back to the original job of a miner. Um, it's to provide network security. And so if your BHP balance is constantly dropping, that's not a stable network, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we want to maintain 50% uh, burn, uh, burned coin. And so that means always having at least 50% uh, of the BHP in the network actively producing on the blockchain. And so we don't want our BHP to be unstable, constantly dropping. We want to keep it topped off as much as possible. And that just helps provide uh, network security. Cool. Um, then I guess in the discussion of security, let's kind of go into the security of the contract itself. Um, this has yeah. been a recent hot topic for us to talk about. Uh, yeah. Why don't you? Uh, why do you? What do you want to launch into the segment about the upgradability of the contracts? Yeah. So originally we um, we were kind of thinking in. Uh, like Ethereum contract terms of, you know, once this thing is deployed, it's static. And all we need to do is just like keep a multi-sig that gives us access to the uh, the wallet um, in case we needed to transfer some tokens back to somebody or something like that. But what we realized is that that's really the wrong way to think about things on Coinos um, because contracts by default are upgradable and every every address is the same so we're on ethereum you have uh externally owned addresses and uh contract addresses and contract addresses don't actually issue a private key it's just a public address um what we have is the ability to upload contracts to any wallet and you know, re-upload all we want. So for that, like even if our code was perfect out the gate and we deployed it to a wallet and then sent everybody the address, if anybody were to deposit tokens in that, by default, we'd have the ability to just steal your tokens, transfer them to our own wallets and whatever, because we have the private key, we can do whatever we want. We're the sole authority of that address. So the way you fix this in Coinos is to limit what authority the private key has. Um, so basically, you just say shut off all the capabilities of transferring coin and and doing whatever you want in there, um, so that the private key is basically um, can't do anything. So then, once that's all turned off, uh, you have more or less a static contract because one of the things the private key has permission to do is upload a new version so you turn that off as well so you you basically just sacrifice all the upgradability of the contract in order to say you know we're not going to screw over depositors um the alternative to that would be basically like setting up a dao where your token uh, allows you to vote on proposals for upgrades to the contract so something like that would um would allow you to keep it upgradable and um you know not shut down all the capabilities it would just be decentralized authority instead of sole authority with the private key yeah on on you know just on coinos 
the default state of a smart contract is that it's upgradable by the person who uploaded it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no difference between a, a regular wallet and a smart contract address. It's the same. Um, and the feature that allows this is something that Coinos calls authorities. Um, and it's extremely flexible in how you uh, use it. You can completely shut it off. You can allow it to upgrade specific components. I'm sorry, access specific components. Um, you can restrict access entirely. Hell, you can even accidentally lock yourself out of the wallet if you don't know what you're doing. Because if you set the authority um, to someone other than yourself, uh, and that other person doesn't exist, and boom, you basically made a, uh, a, a smart contract that's not upgradable, uh, right. which is something that you may want um, because people coming from the Ethereum world, people coming from any EVM world, actually, um, by default, they believe that smart contracts are not, not upgradable, and they have to play a lot of tricks to to uh, basically have control of that smart contract, which includes uploading it to another address and having people uh, point, to, point to it. Right. Um, ultimately, the rules in Quantos are pretty flexible, and I think people just have to understand what they're getting into. Yeah, the really the the benefit of having this set up for for Coinos is that smaller contracts, where it's just you know you're building something for yourself, uh, you get a lot more flexibility, and you can kind of do whatever you want there. Um. If you're uploading something for public use and you want to keep it simple, want to make it non-upgradable, that's pretty easy to do. You add a couple lines of code and you're done. So that's a pretty simple approach. If you are looking to build something more complex where it's upgradable and you have all these other capabilities in your contract, you need a token, you need this, you need that, you need the other. on Ethereum, that would be a fairly complex network of smart contracts. I mean, it's not that bad, but you'd need a few things. So for those complex setups, you you have to add complexity. On Coinos, for those complex setups, you get more simplicity. So in the simple cases, it's easier. It's, I mean, maybe not... <laughs> there's there's three levels here. The simplest here, where you're going solo and just doing your own thing, it's more flexible. In the middle tier, where you're going simple but public, it's very slightly harder on Coinos compared to Ethereum because it's not the default. And then in the complex setup of of larger systems where you have a DAO and all this stuff, it's easier on Coinos than it would be on other uh, other platforms. The um... The ability to upgrade a contract using authorities, that's the same feature that's going to allow people to delegate. Uh, delegate is not, not really a good term for this, but it's the same feature that allows one person to allow uh, another user uh, to have access to their mono, right? It's the same yeah. system. Yeah, I mean, it, it all comes down to authorities. Um, what your private key is allowed to do and um, the authorized function that you put in your smart contract is what gets called when somebody else tries to use your mana. So when they're putting in a transaction and they specify your wallet as the payer, by default, unless you've uploaded a contract with an authorized function that would allow that, it's just going to say, no, you're not allowed to, to use my mana. Go away. Uh, so once you've uploaded a contract with the authorize uh, function, and you just say, 
uh, you know, if the address is one of these whitelisted addresses of my friends, return true, uh, then you'll you basically say, I'll give all of those people as much mana as they want. And you can be, you know, as flexible as you want with that. You can you can make it based off of another token. You can uh, issue an NFT and say anybody who has this NFT has access to 10 mana per day or <laughs> something like that. So there's all kinds of things that you could do. Um, it's kind of this, it, it is a smart contract. It's just a specific entry point with a specific purpose. So in it terms also, of, oh, yeah. Oh, I was, I was saying, <laughs> um, with the authorities, um, do you think that, you know, some people may not upload the source code to their smart contract, right? And so how would you be able to tell um, what authorities are set for a smart contract if you don't know who uploaded it? Like, yeah, good question. That stuff out. So um, I don't know uh, specifics because I haven't tried to dig into this, but all the code that gets uploaded to addresses is technically public. It's just Wasm bytecode. So uh, you, one of the things that typically gets uploaded is the ABI file that specifies like the the different entry points. Um, so the and if you're talking about the authorized function, that's like a, a static uh, entry point. So you could take the byte code and convert it into slightly more human readable uh, machine code and then uh, find that entry point and then kind of like trace through the code. So if somebody hasn't made the source code public, uh, I generally wouldn't go <laughs> using that contract if you're you know putting tokens into it or something um but you could still investigate the logic behind the scenes it'd just be more complex than looking at the source code itself oh gotcha so i mean for our specific contract um the the code is uh, source code is is out there um, yep free to yep. see uh right now it, we're still working through the code so there's still some edits to be done but um, as far as the upgradability of the burn pool contract, I believe it's not upgradable at all. And we had a very specific reason for doing that. And yeah. an alternative um, to curing any issues. Yeah, it's currently still upgradable because we're still iterating on it, but that will be shut down when we go live in mainnet. And what's, what's the idea behind that one? Why, why do we choose to uh, use a non-upgradable contract? Because we also discussed having a, uh, having a DAO to kind of control it too. Yeah, it's really it's just simpler. Um, we we don't want to be in the business of coordinating depositors on voting on whether or not we can upgrade to patch something. Um, I'd rather just upload a new version of the contract and and have people follow or not follow over to that one. Um, and as long as there's not like some heinous bug that that is. Uh, you know, a vulnerability where somebody could come in and hack and, and steal coin out of the contract. Uh, that is a, a generally safe way to do things. So the, and I mean, and in that situation, a, a proposal upgrade system would be slow to react as well. So that's still not a perfect fix if there's some issue that allows people to drain, uh, drain the contract. So 
what we're going to do instead is have it just be non-upgradable because then that's one less thing for us and you to manage. And then we're going to basically put an eject button uh, in the contract that can only be called by a multi-sig that you, me, and probably a couple other people will will hold <clears throat> so that like a, a three out of five uh, multi-sig message could return all the coin and VHP in the contract to uh, depositors. Yeah, it completely, whatever's in the contract at the time. I mean, the the way in and out of the contract is through um, PVHP. Uh, right. We track the state of your PVHP. And so I think the eject button, all it would do is if there's some type of anomaly that um, is out of bounds, which for a, for a burn pool is, I think, generally speaking, we know. We know how many blocks we're going to produce at the end of the day, or how many blocks we did produce. We know the positive information. And so it's easy for us to kind of make these determinations. But if there's anything that's, uh, um, that's out of bounds, it, by hitting the eject button, basically everybody gets their tokens uh, back. And we can always just restart it. It's better than draining the pool. And then we have to wait and get everyone together to form uh, a vote and decide to do the same thing. Because ultimately, it's about the safety of the depositors. Um, and it's about making sure that everyone is made whole. Um, but that ejection button is also kind of interesting because it could technically be done on any other blockchain. You could do it on ETH. You could do it on um, anything with fees. But imagine you had a thousand depositors and you had to make a thousand transactions, and you as the as the operator have to pay those fees. It wouldn't be reasonable. Um, so I kind of found this ejection button thing to be uh, a really cool way of expressing how powerful zero fees could be on Coinos. Yeah, yeah. If, if it comes down to protecting people it's not a question of well do i spend a hundred bucks 200 bucks worth of gas to protect people <laughs> or just let everybody take care of themselves right you may find the suggestion button to be something that's um going to be used on multiple different contracts that have higher that i don't want to say a higher risk that the contract's risky but when there's a lot of funds at stake the ejection button might be a really good way um to to kind of manage that yeah i agree um so yeah the contract on our burn pool is not upgradable. We won't be able to steal your key, uh, steal your tokens. Um, in fact, the only thing that we can do is hit inject button and everyone gets their tokens back. So, yep. Uh, so now let's, let's talk about um, the decision um, that token holders have in terms of governance and votes because uh, you won't be able to vote. There will be no governance as part of our contract, but miners. Are responsible for um, casting votes on the overall network. Um, yeah. Uh, can you can you dig into a little bit of how that how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So the the deal with voting is um, if you are operating as a miner solely by yourself, um, you have a responsibility to vote on proposals to Coino uh, system contracts. So by default, your vote is no on everything. But every time you produce a block, you have the opportunity to say, yes, I want this proposal or these proposals to be accepted, whatever proposals are, are actively in voting phase. Um, so if you're planning on mining on your own, obviously you don't have to engage and figure out what proposals are out there and, and 
cast a vote on them. Um, but it's kind of like a being a good citizen thing, <laughs> you know, as with any democratic country, um, you should get out and vote. So is that right? Right, exactly. So you, you have the, the ability to support the network by expressing your views and why wouldn't you other than, you know, the fact that it takes a little bit more work on your part. So with a, with a burn pool, uh, you don't actually have to even be aware of the fact that there's a vote. Your VHP will be used as part of the, the vote of the pool. So um, this is, it, it's a really interesting concept. Um, if you've never heard of it before, it's called a liquid democracy. And this is something that's existed, you know, as a concept before, uh, before Coinos. But when you dig into it, Coinos and the way it's set up really is a liquid democracy. And I think that's what the team means when they say that the, the consensus algorithm is provably egalitarian. Because uh, you, as an individual, can abstain from voting all you want. Or you can control your own vote like it's a direct democracy. Uh, but the problem with a direct democracy is that it requires a lot of human effort. You need a lot of people to be engaged with the vote. And typically you have so low voter turnout that a direct democracy isn't um, generally appropriate. And then you have uh, like a representative democracy where you, know, you have a, a state representative in the United States or, you know, some other size of group of people that is represented by one person or a few people who cast votes for you so it's now their job to be aware of the the issues and and vote on your behalf um with a liquid democracy you have the option for both so and this is the the case with coinos you can you can vote directly by yourself you can delegate your uh, your voting power to a representative or and, and then once you've delegated that voting power to a representative you can pull that power and you can give it to somebody else or you can do it yourself so at any moment you are liquid in your vote so you don't have to worry about you know whether the uh the representative is going to represent you well for the next four years or something like that. You just have to say, for right now, I agree with where you stand and I trust that you're going to do your job. <laughs> and then yeah. you, as long as you're still happy with the communication about proposals and votes and um, you feel like you're being well represented by that person or group of people, um, which in this case, the vote is going to be me and Kui uh, digging into proposals and and sharing with everybody in the pool uh, how we're going to vote ahead of time and um, explaining why and all that stuff. So if you're if you like the way we're voting and you think we're doing a good job, then great, stay in the pool. And if at any point you think that we're doing a bad job or you don't like a vote we're going to make. You can pull your VHP and put it in another pool or mine by yourself for the duration of that vote or forever or as long as you want. Yeah, the 
you know, going back to how the system was designed to function, I have to I have to assume that they took some uh, experience from their work in Steemit because Steemit had a uh, delegated proof of stake design, uh, yeah. which you find I think in in EOS um, and Polkadot or any other of those clones of, uh, of EOS. Mm -hmm. Also delegated proof of stake. And one thing that's wonderful about that was that uh, when when Steam was going through all of its upgrades um, back in 16, 17, 18, 19, they basically uh, only had to convince uh, 21 witnesses to approve the upgrade. And then the witnesses would basically get votes from the community um, to participate in the overall upgrade system, right? And so through that process, a lot of the users didn't need to be, um, you know, casting votes. They basically just uh, voted for their witness, and the witness voted for the proposal. Um, right. And in the setup, they were able to push through, I think, like 22, 23, whatever amount of hard forks, uh, something that was very hard to do on any other blockchain. Um, so taking that into Coinos, basically, you have a similar setup where you can delegate your vote to a, to a mining pool, or you can choose a vote on your own. Uh, you can choose to abstain from voting. It's extremely flexible, and uh, if you find out there there's a pool that doesn't allow you to withdraw things, what they're also saying is that they're not going to allow you to express your vote too. So be aware of that. Um, yeah. But over here, uh, if you don't like the way you were going to vote, and, and we'll put our our views on online for people to discuss, we'll put our thoughts out there. Uh, but if you don't agree with us, you're absolutely free to withdraw your BHP and move it to a, another miner or vote yourself. It's extremely, extremely liquid. Yep. Yeah, and th this this can't be overstated. Delegated proof of stake is it's a design decision for a blockchain. Mm -hmm. You build that system, and then it becomes a huge political game uh, for the blockchain community. With Coinos, this is an intentionally undesigned uh, system. <laughs> they they built Coinos Proof of Burn as kind of the simplest approach to a Proof of Burn uh, implementation. And then just arising out of this concept of tokens in a wallet represent your voting power and you have to produce blocks and each block you get a vote, you have the ability to have pools and they can be liquid and uh, you can treat the pool operator as your voting delegate. And so there's <laughs> there's all these cool implications of the way Qantas was designed that the team didn't have to build. And so you see that throughout a lot of the, the Qantas uh, decisions that they've made is by going with the simplest um, kind of undesigned approach for things, you have the the ability to give power to the community in ways that you don't see on other blockchains. Yeah, the, the, the biggest strength to Coinos is the fact that you have many options to do what you feel is right for your particular project. Right. Very, very customizable. Yeah. Um, and even, even on terms of voting, right? Like, uh, if you wanted to cast a vote on another blockchain that's not the uh, delegated proof of stake, it's kind of hard. You have to do a lot of work to go go through that. But on Coinos, if you want to vote, um, they actually made individual mining extremely easy to do. Uh, 
compared to any other blockchain out there, you still need to you know understand a little bit of computers and run some command line stuff. But I, I haven't found any other blockchain that makes it as easy as Coinos to run your own mining software. So if you want to cast a vote, it really is a matter of just running a couple uh, lines of command, uh, a couple of lines of code uh, on a on a command line like uh, Linux or Mac or even on Windows. Um, in fact, I even have a guide out there that shows you how to fire up a, a miner. Um, and in that situation, you'll be able to vote on your own without much, uh, too much complexity. Yeah. Uh, and cool. on the topic of individual miners, right? Um, yeah. I highly encourage you to run your own miner if you choose to. Um, it's not much about yield, but the more nodes that are out there, the more um, decentralized the entire network is. And you may, maybe you want to run a node for a year, maybe you want to run, run a node for a couple months, just see how it is. Uh, and you always have the option to you know, take your VHP and your own individual miner and move it to a mining pool. Uh, I encourage you to kind of play around with that one. Yeah, there, there's a lot of benefit to to mining on your own, um, especially if you have enough coin to make it um, financially worthwhile. Uh, with a pool, you're going to have your operators taking a, a cut. Um, and we're taking five percent of profits so you'll always get your, your deposit back plus some you know 95 percent of the, the profit generated but there is a fee um and to that end we've talked a bit about how much of the coinos network we'd like to to represent we're actually not going to implement like a hard cap or something like that of how much vhp we're willing to represent um but if it starts getting up to a large percentage of the network, um, we may consider increasing the fee to discourage <laughs> participation yeah. in the pool. Um, or you know, if if we're really low and you know we're not a uh, a sizable representative of of the network, then maybe we'll decrease the fee. So um, we'll we'll play with it over time. Uh, it, nothing's set in stone there. Yeah, people's sentiments are also kind of interesting too. I mean, uh, most recently with the merge with ETH, right? We saw that uh, I think forty-three or forty-six percent of all the blocks produced out there were produced by Lido and Coinbase entirely, right? And so people started saying, "Oh, well, um, that uh, is kind of just an example of why Ethereum is uh, centralized." Um, but you go back into the idea of liquid democracy, right? Like those guys right now don't have the option of leaving at stake because the beacon chain has not allowed uh, withdrawals of uh, their staked ETH. Right. Um, you're, you're always allowed to withdraw. So if you don't want to participate in this, you can take your tokens and then go move it somewhere else. And so we solve that problem by, well, not we solve the problem, but Coino solves that problem by being highly liquid uh, in terms of where that voting power goes. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's wrap this up. Um, any parting thoughts here? Um, you can just you know, talk about what's next for us after the pool. I mean, you know, that is kind of the parting thought, right? Like one thing that, um, I kind of presented to the community, something that we both, uh, have been talking about for a long time. Uh, actually there's two items. Uh, one is, uh, the Coinos address protocol. I think you shared your thoughts on that a bunch of times and it's a human readable service. That's really valuable. I think. Yeah, I think it'll. I think it'll be cool. Uh, we talked about that in the uh, briefly in the in the last episode. So if you want to know more about Cap 
um, it's basically ENS um, or unstoppable domains or, or one of those where you get an NFT with a name and then you can you can access that uh, rather than you know memorizing everybody's address. So there's a lot of work to do for that. That's kind of a, a longer term project. I don't think that'll be ready at mainnet launch, um, but that is something that uh, that we're we're both excited about building. Yeah, and um, you know, obviously, the, you need users on the system before you can really launch something like that. But uh, right. it's a very cool thing. Last episode, uh, like maybe two or three episodes ago, we talked about it. Um, and then there's also what was originally uh, called DAP Mana. I wrote, written this like kind of skeleton of a of a system that will allow you to distribute mana to different people, um, and it's kind of been you know renamed. A bunch of times, um, people are calling it different things. Some people, I think, are kind of building out their own version of it. But uh, so far, right now, I think the name is called the favorite name is Mana Station, and yeah. um, I posted out a piece of paper out there for people to comment on. But the, the effective idea is that right now, when you hold your coin at the beginning of the network, the genesis stages, um, it's not doing too much. There's not a lot of smart contracts for you to use. If you're an early token holder, you probably have more mana than you need. Um, and the great thing with authorities is that there are ways to allow people to give uh, other users access to the resource that is mana without losing your tokens. I think that's a very powerful thing to do. It's a very great way to bootstrap developers without having them um, spend their capital on, uh, on just processing transactions. And on top right. of that, uh, what the system will allow you to do is basically acquire users or uh, for developers to focus on focus on delivering a great experience without first acquiring users for the blockchain because that's that's the most difficult thing. If you're not a blockchain user, you can't even use my DAP, right? Yeah. Um, so much resources spent on DAPs going, hey, you have to buy this gas token before you can even use my uh, service, and even then, you can't try my service unless you pay that operating fee. So that puts DApps at a huge disadvantage, um, which is why originally it was called DAP Mana. But um, you know, it, it, names are just names, right? Not a big deal. Uh, but that's another thing that um, is going to be uh, on the uh, on the list of things to do. And this mining pool is just really the first start. Um, it's the first and obvious start to where I think we want the ecosystem to go. But at the same time, it also is going to be part of uh, many other developers who are currently walk, working on this uh, blockchain, like Von Luton, um, uh, who's working on CoinDX with uh, uh, Eldridge. Is that how you say his name? So it was a, a Dara Lang. Dara Lang. Yeah, there you go. I'm not really good at reading, apparently. That's all good. But there's a lot of projects going out there, and it's going to be a great genesis to to Coinos. And this is really only the beginning. Uh, mining pools really just kind of solidified the fact that I think we're here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I just want to say uh, thank you to the Coinos group, especially because like the, the design of this thing we've iterated on a number of times, and uh, in one conversation with Steve, the CTO of the Coinos group, um, he set us straight and gave us a, a much simpler concept to go off of here. So uh, if you're looking to build on on Coinos, highly recommend you reach out to the, the Coinos group. Um, they have a, I mean, obviously they, they built the, <laughs> the, the blockchain. So 
they're the experts. So if you have any questions, if you even if you've built smart contracts over on Ethereum and you just want to know more about the authority system or the way upgradable contracts work and how to secure things for your users, um, definitely reach out to them. They will help you out immensely. Yeah, don't don't forget that um, they also uh, have this a program called Coinos Labs where. Mm -hmm. uh, you can take a look at it in, in their Medium link if you just Google Medium and find Andrew Levine's post about um, about Coinos Labs. But it's if you're trying to run a project or start a project, you need some help from the development team. The Coinos Group is out there uh, to help you guys out. You can reach out to them, um, check out their Twitter page. But overall, uh, you know, when we you know just, just talking about this uh, contract that um, you and I worked on, Coinos really Coinos Group really did a great job at maximizing customizability and leading all the experience they have with Steemit. And it makes this kind of a really wonderful um, optionality you have to design a contract exactly how you want it to run. And I think that's pretty amazing and probably the only group of people who can pull this off because of that experience they had on other blockchains. Cool. All right. Well, I think we drained this one. So thank you, Kui, for coming on to talk about this. Um, Absolutely. We will, uh, well, I'm sure we'll be talking about this more on Discord and Telegram. Um, but yeah, we're we're hoping to launch a a testnet version of the burn pool with you know mining active um, sometime in October. So just gotta wrap up a few things with the contract, and then we'll be uh, sending out an address for everybody to to try out the burn pool, um, and then we can. I'll, I'll be building a, a UI for it as well, so you don't have to go through the CLI. Um, but yeah, all in due time. <laughs> Hoping to have this ready uh, by mainnet launch, which we're expecting sometime in December. It's close. It's really, really close. I'm really excited. It's been two two years. Actually, we're almost two years from now. Uh, the birthday of Coinos um, was October, I think, 13 or 12 or something like that, 2020. We're close. Yep. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, have a good morning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hope you join us next week for the CoinPress podcast. Bye for now.